We are in uh, John chapter 6, and we are in, a, in an area that often uh, is called a hard part of Scripture. Uh, there are words and there are verses here that can be hard to hear and maybe even at times a little confusing. Uh, I know that probably everybody here uh, has experienced hearing things that are hard to hear. Uh, you know, you have cancer. That's a hard thing to hear, and you have to believe the doctor that that, that is true and wait for uh, whatever that diagnosis is going to lead to. Uh, just about three years ago, uh, I experienced that myself in our life, and Diane's in my life. Uh, she went to work on a Monday morning, had blurry vision, uh, left early to go right straight to a doctor's office, and the eye doctor said, well, there's something going on. You need to see an ophthalmologist, and so she arranged for her to visit an ophthalmologist Tuesday morning at 7.30. Uh, up near the southern part of Denver. And so we went. And by morning, I could tell that it wasn't her eyes. She was losing her balance and other things. And my fear was a stroke. And by the time we got there, the doctor did confirm it wasn't her eyes and that it was potentially a stroke. And so uh, said, you need to get, to her, get her to a hospital right now. And of course, in my thinking, I don't want to fight the traffic out on 25 to get all the way back to Colorado Springs, the only hospitals that I know of. And he says, well, why would you do that? You're less than five minutes away from Swedish Medical Center, which is the best stroke place and the best uh, brain place that there is. And so I said, okay, give me directions. And so away we went, and they took good care of her. But by 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, uh, they had ruled out a stroke. It was not a stroke. And so more tests and more things. And, and honestly, by morning, uh, Diane was totally incoherent. Nothing came out that made sense. I'm confident she did not know me. As a matter of fact, today we know that she lost about five days of her life. She just doesn't remember any of it. 7.30 Wednesday morning, two doctors came in. One got down on his knees and began patting my wife's hand. And I swallowed hard. Because the words that came out of his mouth were, there's no easy way to tell you this. Uh, that means it's not going to be good news. The other doctor had called up her MRIs, and he grabbed me and he says, do you see that? Well, it's easy to see that there's this big thing uh, in her brain. And he, he was just very straightforward. Uh, it looks like a tumor, it looks like it could be cancer, but it's right on our brain stem and we cannot operate. It will not, we can't do anything. And I said, what's the chances it's something else? And he goes, less than 10%. And he goes, Mr. Bailey, uh, you need to be prepared for the fact that your wife probably has a week or two at best to live. Man, those are hard words to hear. Those are, those are challenging. 
You know, and, and yet I want you to know that in Diane's case, it was the less than 10%. It was uh, just an infection, and she is alive and well today, uh, still recovering in many ways because it was her brain. But yet uh, the joy of knowing that God is the mix, even when we hear hard things. This passage is telling you and I that the words of life entail the reality that you and I have to enter into hard things. Behold, if you will, the words of life as Christ explains exactly what he is going to do and wants to do in his death, burial, and resurrection to set us free from sin. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, as we open your word today, I pray that your spirit would have free reign in our hearts and lives in a wonderful way, that your word would go forth powerfully, and that not one single word of truth would be snatched away, snatched away at all from our hearts and from our eyes and the reality of all that Christ is bringing. Father, we just ask that you would just bless this time and that you would move in our midst. Lord, that our hearts would be open and receptive, challenged, encouraged, yea, even changed for your glory because of these words of life from the bread of life. And we ask all of this in Jesus our Lord's name. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I need to remind you where it is in context because often it, uh, these, these verses are construed, these first few verses are construed to be something else than what Christ is explaining. You remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, Eric shared with you that there was this young man that brought a lunch to a mob and Jesus performed this miracle in the feeding of the 5,000. You know, and the feeding of the 5,000 is one of those miracles that's found in all four of the Gospels. And, and it's that joy that we have of seeing God do a great and mighty thing. And if you remember, after that, uh, as he did the storm thing and the walking on the water and all of that, this group of people continued to follow him. And he, he said, I know why you're following me. It isn't because you've seen the signs of who I am as the Son of God, but because you want more food. And he introduces them to himself as the bread of life that has come down from God. And they're saying, well, how could you be God's son? Aren't you Joseph and Mary's son? You know, didn't you just grow between us? Well, a couple of things. Obviously, they haven't talked to Joseph and Mary about how Christ's birth came about. And secondly, what they're doing is refusing to believe that the Son of God is there, even though Old Testament Scripture announced that the Redeemer, the Messiah, would come. And he's already introduced himself to these same folks as the Messiah. And they're saying, no, 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 you're just a guy. 
And he's saying no. And so he is putting the exclamation point, if you would, on the fact that he is the bread of life and he wants to encourage them and encourage you and I today of what great kind of a relationship you and I can have with the true and living creator, holy creator of the universe through his son. And he's writing an exclamation point that he really wants us to understand and not only understand, but apply to our lives in a way that it makes a difference. Notice what we see in verse 51 where Pastor Eric left off last week. It says, I am the living bread. You guys are just coming for manna. You want free meal for the next 40 years, and I want you to know I am the bread of life, and I am the living bread. Totally different, which came down from heaven. I am from heaven. I am the Son of God. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He is now really introducing the very, very bottom reason why he came. He has come to die for the sins of the world. He has come to be that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice, that everybody within the sound of my voice, even live streaming here today, upstairs and down, we need to understand we need salvation and you and I cannot do anything in and of ourselves. It is all through Jesus Christ and because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary for us. There's no other way to put it because that is God's word. And all God's people said, the standard is his. The reality of why he came is true. These are words of life that are only found in the offering of Christ or Christ's offering as living bread, if you will. Notice what happens. The Jews, therefore, quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? Now, he is using a metaphor. Christ is using a metaphor. He will, he will really finalize that later on when he is talking to uh, the disciples and sharing with them after a few series of events. But what he's doing here is saying that this is a spiritual reality that we need to understand, that they needed to understand that day. Notice what Jesus said. And these are the verses that might be a little hard. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 55, for my flesh is true food indeed, and my blood is true drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That thought of being flesh and blood and you and I doing that. He's just simply saying this. He wants a personal relationship with us so that you and I can have a personal relationship with God the Father. He is emphasizing, I am the bread of life. He is just declaring that. 
He's putting the exclamation point. If you want to have life, it will only come through me. I need to be the sum and substance of all that you rely on for eternal life. And it will happen through my sacrifice. Now, one of the confusing things is because in our culture and over the decades, people have said that it surrounds communion. And it's not surrounding communion. You've probably, and some of you uh, maybe even know the term transubstantiation. That would be somehow that when I partake of the cracker, which resembles our Lord's broken body, that somehow it becomes the flesh of Christ when I put it in my mouth. No, that isn't what he's talking about, or somehow the juice becomes the blood of Christ when I take it. No, salvation is only in him by faith. Only in him by faith. Let me repeat that again. For by grace you are saved through faith. It is not something that we do. Communion is, a, is that memorial service where we, we rejoice and celebrate, remember the price paid. And he is emphasizing this price that will be paid is my body. I will go to the tree for you. I will bear the sins of many in my body so that people could be set free so that millennia later, Rich Bailey, who was the biggest fool of all, I challenge Paul. I really believe I was the chief of sinners and we'll have a chance to discuss that in eternity so I could be set free from the bondage of sin so you could be set free from the bondage of sin. Jesus Christ, we're going to see later on, he's going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Those are God's words. Those are Christ's words, not mine. Salvation is only in him by faith in all that he has accomplished on the cross of Calvary and over the grave so that we could, can, have this dynamic relationship with the true and living God of the universe. He is declaring that. Even first century uh, theologians believed and understood this, whether it was Augustine or Bernard of Clairvaux, that first century uh, folks that had been taught by the Johns and the Pauls, they simply said this, If you suffer with me, you will also reign with me. This is the reality of Christ being crucified and pierced for us. That's what the truth is. F.F. Bruce and other scholars today, that is the truth. This is a metaphor. So don't allow it to be something that's stumbling. Let it be piercing in letting us know the extent in which Christ, the gift of God, is to purchase you and I from the slavehold of sin. It is his offering. That's what he has given us. And secondly, this life calls us to abide. Now, I've already read it in verse 57. Notice what it says. I mean, verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Wow. 
I want you to know the day that myself as an adult was broken before God, a holy God, and realized I'm just a wretched sinner and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and I needed a Savior and that Christ was the Savior. That day when I poured out my heart before God and asked him to be my personal Savior and to forgive my sins, guess what? I didn't know that I was indwelled by the Spirit of God or Christ himself. I didn't know that. It was a growing experience for me to understand the truth. I was totally biblically illiterate, just so you know. We didn't go to church or any of that kind of stuff. Our our home life was rather broken. Uh, so those things were far, far from me. Uh, you know, I very seldom went to church. I only went to church uh, with Diane because I liked her, you know. <laughs> I didn't listen to anything that was said. And, and unfortunately, her home church was not a church that talked about Christ. And his, it was more about other things yeah, rather than who Christ is and the wonders of salvation. And he wants you and I to abide in him. He abides in us. He resides. He dwells. And that word abide, hupomena, we'll get a bigger look at it when we get to John chapter 15. But that means that in my life and in your life should be this thought. I can only survive in this life as I totally immerse myself in all that he is for nurturing, for support, for growth in my life. He wants you and I to be radically transformed from the inside out. You and I can only do that as we abide in him, completely, unreservedly rely on all that he is and his truth and the truth of his word and the power of his spirit to be radically changed from the inside out. God wants that. He passionately pursues you and I to have that kind of intimate, close relationship. You know, we live in a broken world. It is so broken. You know, I'm sure that even in the sound of my voice right here, that there are people just crying out for peace in their lives. Well, I want you to know, you want peace in your life? Come to know the God of peace, and you will be able to enter into the peace of God that passes all understanding. Do you want to have victory over the bondage and the cruel things that have happened in your life, like abuses and things like that, and not live in shame anymore? Guess what? Enter into that relationship with Christ, and he will give you the victory. And it's not because of who I am. It is because of how he declares and who he declares he is. He has overcome the world. Amen? You and I can have victory in him. We just sang about it. Do we believe it? We do not need to live in fear and bondage anymore, but we can be gloriously transformed from the inside out for his glory. I'm not saying there aren't scars. I am they sings a beautiful song about that. That's a reality. But it is through those scars we celebrate the heart of God. Because he found us and has set us free. Notice how this passage just beautifully continues to go on. 
Verse, verse uh, 57 says, As the living Father sent me, ah, I'm God's gift, I live because of the Father. I've come to do his will and to bring glory to him is what he's saying. So he who feeds on me will live because of me, the sacrifice that I'm going to give. This is the bread of heaven. I am the bread of heaven which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are now dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And these things he described for them in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. What a beautiful, glorious story. You know, I I don't know where you are in your journey of life. You know, I hit the halfway point this year. 33 years of living for self, and now 33, yeah, I gave it all away. I'm 60s. Oh, man, two weeks, I'm going to be 67. But, you know, and Diane and I have been gloriously married for 48 years now. And the first part of it was kind of rough because I was such a fool. But since we've trusted Christ and we began growing in our relationship, wow, what a blessed journey. You know, when we get up to John chapter 10, when he introduces us uh, to the fact that he is the good shepherd, he is going to say this and remind us, you know, the thief has come to seek to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want you to know that's Satan's whole agenda. He does not want you and me to passionately pursue God in any way, shape, form, or manner. He doesn't want our marriages to reveal all that he has given us in Christ. Satan has an agenda. He hates God. And so anything that can prevent any of you and I from celebrating and enjoying God, he will strive to cause that stumbling in our lives so that we live in bondage rather than in freedom and joy. Matter of fact, Christ goes on, but you know, I want you to know something else. I have come to give you life and to give it more abundant. And I want you to know it's true. It's real. You want to have peace? Trust the God of peace. Trust Christ as Savior and abide in him. You want to have rest for your soul? I'm convinced of it. No matter the storms of life and they're real, you know, they are very real. You want to have rest for your soul? Trust Christ as Savior and abide in him. He brings it to pass because he has overcome it all. He even says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Paul even shared with young Timothy in the last letter to him, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to hear this, hear it well. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You want to live an abundant life, a joy-filled life, a peace-filled life, it comes from accepting by receiving Christ, accepting his word, receiving Christ as Savior, and then commit yourself intentionally to abide in him. We live in a time where we live in what I call a checkbox time. Yep, I did that, I did that, I did that. And sometimes I think that we can adopt that sometimes even in our own life. Yep, I went to church this week. Yep, I read my, my I read Daily Bread this morning. Uh, yep, I, I read God's Word because I had to kind of thing. Rather than allowing it to be the vibrant relationship God wants. 
God, he is passionately pursuing you and me every moment of every day through the power of his spirit and the power of his word. These are words of life, from the bread of life. These words calls us to abide in him, totally, completely rely on him. These words lead to a true testimony. Notice what happens afterwards. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Now, I want to pause there for a moment. And, you know, lots of times we, we uh, like to pick on Peter, you know. And, but I want you to know right now that my heart and mind, I'm quite convinced it isn't Peter who heard the other folks in the synagogue and walked away saying, this is hard. Who can possibly understand it? I wouldn't be surprised if it is Judas who heard this and now through Satan is spreading words of dissension with the 12. Who can understand this? That's just me. I like to read God's word a little imaginatively, you know, but these words are being said in Jesus, verse 61, knew in himself that the disciples complained or grumbled about this. They said, does this offend you? Is this causing you to stumble? And he poses a question. What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Now let me ask a question, just kind of fast forward in your New Testament thinking. Are they going to see Christ ascend? Yes. They're going to see this. They're going to stand there after the resurrection and after Pentecost, and they're going to see, I mean, just before Pentecost, and they're going to see him ascend. And so you say, hey, what if I told you this? I've told you that I'm going to give my life, and you need to have this relationship with me by faith. Now are you going to be offended when I say I'm going to go home to my father too? Now where are you going to be? He's, so he's laying the groundwork so that when he's gone physically, that they will still passionately pursue him intimately in their own life because the Spirit will come and be a part of our lives. Notice how he continues, and he really emphasized now that this has been a metaphor, that he is speaking of spiritual things. Verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. There are some of you who do not believe. How? And he's talking to the whole group as well as the 12, and and he realizes that some of them do not believe. Yeah, in a group this size, I wouldn't be surprised if there might be somebody here who does not believe. And I don't want you to believe Rich Bailey. 
I want you to believe the God of the word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, who gave us his word, and believe that through the power of the spirit, he is, he is drawing you through the father, convicting you of the fact that you are a sinner and you're in need of a savior. And today could be that first day in your life where you embark on the greatest journey in life you will ever have. It's called Christianity. It is called this thought of having a heavenly father who loves you and a dynamic relationship with him through the son. Notice how he continues on, verse 64. For Jesus knew from the very beginning who they were that did not believe and who would betray him, talking about Judas. Now, listen, you know, the fact that he earnestly desires that they would believe and he has put the exclamation point on the fact that he is the bread of life, he is from the Father, we need to partake of him and by faith in all that he has accomplished for us. He wants us to know that there are some that just won't believe. You know, we have the privilege of having uh, 12 grandchildren now, and uh, the youngest is one, and she toddles around. She's got two older brothers, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, so she sees them playing a game over there, and so what does she do? She wants to walk right in and plop right down in the middle of it and play too, you know, and, and I love my grandsons. Man, they're learning how to stiff arm at an early age. You know, here comes sister, boom, like that. Don't let Satan do that in your life. Don't let Satan steal away the words of truth from your heart and life. Enter into by faith and joy. Trust all that he is. Verse 65 goes on to say, And he said, Therefore I have said that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. The Father draws. What a beautiful picture of the triune Godhead working out all of these things for his glory. The Father draws, the Spirit convicts of our need of a Savior and of our sin, and Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid him. So by faith, ah, for by grace we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And I'm just asking you to partake of that gift and then to abide in that gift. From that time, verse 66, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now that's a sad, sad commentary. It's one of the saddest verses in in all of Scripture. You know, should God had to have decided to take my wife home to be with him would have been a hard, hard day. I I can't put it anywhere else. She's my best friend and I love her a lot. It would have been a hard day. And the question is whether it would have been so hard that I would have stopped passionately pursuing my relationship with Christ 
or continue in it. Every morning you and I wake up, we have that same choice that we have to make. Am I going to passionately pursue Christ today? No matter what circumstances might come, and truly abide in him so that he can be seen in me. That's the testimony. Notice what Peter says. So Jesus asked the 12, do you want to go away also? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom could we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. His testimony is exactly what Christ wanted all of the other disciples to understand. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is the Messiah who came to die for the sins of the world so that we could have this great relationship with him. Wow. It is about an eternal story for us in the presence of the holy creator of the universe. And I don't know about you, but I look forward to eternity. Now, it's not just because I'm old, young people. Wipe that off the board. It's just because I know I'm going to be in the very presence of my Savior for eternity. I will have that glorified body. I won't have to battle the sin nature anymore. And I will be in the presence to worship him all the time. You know, and I don't know what that will look like. I do ask that I could have a voice so I could sing. I love to sing. Diane has told me I can't sing in the car anymore. But I love to sing. Yeah, and I get favorite songs. I don't know if you do. Right now, my favorite song is Only Jesus by Casting Crowns. Yeah. I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if you never remember me but that you saw Jesus and you heard Jesus and you were drawn to Jesus because of who he is in me and who I am in him. Peter says, I get it now. Now, he's not going to get it perfectly. We know that. I don't get it perfectly. I fail sometimes. You know, one of the things, the other things I'd like to do in heaven was you know, and this, I felt I was robbed of this, so feel sorry for me. Um, when I was in seventh grade, uh, I played basketball, uh, went to a smaller school, and so the talent level was probably down. But anyways, I was good enough to play two quarters of JV basketball and two quarters of varsity basketball as a seventh grader. I knew how to dribble a ball. That's all it a man or two, you know, and people couldn't take it away from me. And so I played basketball. Well, soon as I'm in a new school and I'm with a new family and things like that, I'm not home. And uh, the band director comes around, hey, we're going to do tryouts for band. How would you like to do band? And I'm thinking, oh, man, I always wanted to play a drum. Now, this is before the Beatles, (laughs) just so you know. But I thought, man, I want to learn to play a drum. And so they gave me a little pad and two little sticks, and man, I'm going around, and I'm beating on that poor pad everywhere. You know, drove the people crazy at home, you know, because I wanted to be a drummer. You know, I'd take it to school with me, drove the teachers crazy. Put that away! No, man, I'm learning. 
you know, and finally the coach came, the basketball coach, and he grabbed me and took me out in the hall, and he goes, you've got to stop this. And I go, oh, am I causing trouble? And he said, no, you're spending too much time practicing that when you should be practicing basketball. And so I bought the lie, and I just went all in for sports from that point on, and gave up the thoughts of being a drummer. I'm hoping in heaven I can be a drummer. Now, it's not a bucket list thing. I don't know what I'm going to be doing there, but I look forward to it. We need to look forward to the hope that we have in Christ because we abide in him, because the God of peace is our God, and we can have the peace that uh, passes all understanding, so we don't have the spirit of fear. The only picture that this this church, this town, this city, Ellicott is ever going to get of Christ is you and me living in Christ. Down in the Alamo, how many of you have ever been to the Alamo? Outside is a portrait of the nephew of somebody who died in the war, Bonham. Now that portrait is there of his nephew because they said he's a close resemblance to the one who died, his uncle. And so they wanted to have a picture of the one who gave his life in that battle for freedom. Guess what? Christ-likeness is a real term, and you and I are called to that. And the only, the only portrait that this world, this world and all of its brokenness, all of its pain and all of its hurt is ever going to see of Christ is you and me who are in Christ. And the better the picture will come from only abiding in the reality of who he is. I'm not perfect in any way, shape, form, or manner, but I'm still striving. I yearn for people to see Christ in me and ask me the reason of my hope. So two questions have to come out of this. They're glaring questions. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Maybe you've never even embarked on the journey and trusted Christ as Savior. Be that today. And now I want you to know, we can, we can allow trusting Christ as our Savior to become a checkbox. Oh, I prayed a little prayer. Check. Done. And strive to just add Christ to our life rather than allowing Christ to be our life. He wants to be our life so that all that we are is in him. Oh, I used to be a machinist. Guess what? I still had to be a machinist even as a Christian. But you know what? I can still do it as a Christ believer enjoying doing something that's really tedious. And it was because now I'm working for a different boss. I want Christ to be glorified in me with the right attitude as I'm doing it. Who Christ is. The second question is, is for those of us who are saved, 
How's their testimony? Be honest. Have I just added Christ to my life and I'm still doing all of those things I used to do? Or some of them? Do I still live in bondage to fear? Or the brokenness of the pain that was brought upon me because of the infidelities, because of the abuses, because of you fill in the blank. Christ wants you and I to live victoriously, completely set free, so that we have hope, we have joy, the joy that he wants to give us, the peace that truly passes all understanding. So I'm going to ask you to examine your heart today. Where are you? Are you a disciple? Passionately pursuing him. Saved. And passionately pursuing him. To me, that's a true disciple. And do people see Christ in us? Let's stand and close our time in prayer. Our Father, you know each and every one of our hearts. You know where we are in this journey of life. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are people in the sound of my voice who have never trusted Christ as Savior. I pray today that through the power of your Spirit and the power of your living Word, they recognized that they're in bondage to sin and only Christ and his sacrifice could set them free. True forgiveness of sin. True, wonderful healing and reconciliation that only comes from the gentle hand and heart of our great God who loves us so much. Father, I pray that they would call out to you right now saying, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And I, and I by faith, receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Father, I now speak to all of us who are saved. Am I committed to abiding in you? I know you're committed to abiding in me. Am I truly relying on you in all of life? wanting you to be glorified in my life, allowing me to bring glory to my heavenly Father because of the life that I have, revealing real hope, real joy, real purpose. If ever there's a culture in a society where people are struggling with purpose in life, it's now, and you give it to us so freely, so wonderfully. Are we intentionally abiding in you moment by moment. Father, what's our testimony like? Is it skewed? Is it clouded over? Or is it something that's really blossoming, revealing our Savior, Jesus Christ? And Father, in all of those decisions that have to be made in our hearts today, Lord, I pray you'd give boldness to each and every one to come forward, meet with the ministry teams here on the side, just so they can pray for them. We love praying for people in their walk with God, starting in day one, salvation. Move as only you can through the power of your spirit.
For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.